Emily Van Landingham has merged her two interests, entertainment and food, in her new business, Farm Stand Entertainment. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. We're here today with Emily Van Langenham. She is a chef and serial entrepreneur. We are going to speak to her about her early days and how she began in the entrepreneurial business as well as the culinary business. And we're in particular going to talk to her about her new business, Farm Stand Entertainment. Welcome, Emily. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here and uh, going through all of our little technical issues here. (laughs) (laughs) There's always some. So tell me again how you um, got started. Sure. Well, it all started in college and undergrad at George Mason University in in Virginia. I'm from Maryland. Didn't go that far away from home. But I had really had no intention on on working long term in the the food industry. I had a a small, you know, washing dishes and and busing job in, in high school for a hot little minute. That that was basically enough for me, and I really that, that told you no, I don't yeah, want to like, do yeah, this. Yeah, I don't need to do. You know, you know. I mean, there is, you know, I can be a little bit of a germaphobe sometimes. I mean, you know, touching plates that people have eaten off of really did gross me out a lot back then. I've come a long way. I promise, I've come a long way. I can do it now without even flinching. Uh, <laughs> um, but my uncle actually w- worked for Jose for a very long time. Jose. Jose Andres, sorry. Uh, yes. I, so during undergrad, I my uncle called out of the blue and was like, listen, Haleo is, is short-staffed. Can you please come in and just wear a cute little dress that you made and, and, and come on in and stand at the front door? And I, I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I can do that. So I went and I worked for Jose Andres and I stayed with him for three years. And in that, that first day, I mean, I went in for the, the lunch shift and I didn't leave until well past dinner. And at the end, I, I told everyone, I was like, oh, by the way, I work here now. And they were like, yeah, we know. We can tell. <laughs> and so that was basically a student job. It was. But, you know, I ended up working Full there full-time uh, and going to school full-time and um, balancing multiple restaurants at once, actually. And there were days where I would go and in go into OML uh, for the restaurant opening and work and volunteer in the kitchen and then uh, do the lunch shift and then go to class and then come back. And, I mean, there, I, there were many days I had no clue where I was going or what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ended up the end of the third year that I worked for Jose. I went to Spain and we filmed this TV show and, and it was in Spain actually that I knew that I had to go to culinary school. I mean, that that experience with him there and working, you know, in, in the food programming world in a different culture. And I mean, I literally went for a walk one day and popped into an internet cafe at the top of a mountain by a cathedral and applied to the Culinary Institute of America. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll see if I get in. <laughs> And then I, I forgot to tell my parents. And so, you know, when 
after I came back to the States and, you know, I saw my parents, they were like, you know, you got some mail. And I was like, oh, really? Uh, I mean, I'm sure I have a lot of mail. I've been out of the country for quite a few months now. And they were like, what's this? Like, well, you got something from the Colonies of America. I'm like, oh, I did? Well, let me see that. And they're just staring at me blankly. And I was like, oh, I applied. And they were like, to do what? I was like, I don't really know, but something's telling me that I have to do this. And so they actually laughed and said, man, it really took you long enough. And I thought that was, you know, really funny that they knew something about me for so long, but didn't really share it with me. They wanted me to find my own path. Uh And they're like, Emily, you've been walking into the kitchen and pulling out random ingredients. Okay. Because my mom was not good at grocery shopping. Uh, (laughs) There was never anything there to eat. And, you know, if we, if we wanted to eat, we had to figure it out. And so... I would just put everything together and make three, four, five course meals with literally like stuff she just happened to have in the pantry at a very early age, actually. And so when you went to Spain, you were combining your degree in television yeah. and and your culinary interests at the same time. That That must have been really a perfect, perfect way for you to kind of recognize what you were interested in. Yeah, you know, I I think so. It definitely, you know, was a new lens that I had never looked through before. And then even when I was in culinary school, my first semester, I ended up Xing out and going to film for Ming Tsai, Chef Ming Tsai uh, on Simply Ming and on PBS in Boston for three weeks. And I did that for season six and seven. And continued to work for Lydia Bastanich on a couple of her projects. And when I moved here, after I left Restaurant Stella, I got a job with Chef John Fols and, you know, worked on his media team for about a year. And, you know, after I left John Fols, I went straight into restaurants and then, you know, kind of got away more into the entrepreneur side and, and away from the entertainment side. But now that I'm back in entertainment, it really, it really does feel like home. I, I have to say, it feels really good. <laughs> Oh, well, but that's, that's really the journey. And at least you have that experience on the restaurant side a little bit so that you know it, whether you want to do it or not is another question. Yeah, you know, and even though I've really focused a lot in, in entertainment and, and food TV, uh, I, I really enjoy studying the overall food systems aspect, you know, how everybody gets what they eat mm-hmm. and what are the implications at all the facets. I really do get off on researching and reading and studying all of it and, and, and certainly the food economics that are behind it. Well, certainly right now where I think that the food systems have been turned on their corners or whatever, um, they're definitely upended. And we've seen how inflexible some of them are where people were having to get rid of milk and all kinds of things because they had no other alternatives for um for selling it i mean those are the kinds of things that are really awful sure and i mean personally i i knew it was coming at some point i was a little taken back that it was at the moment that it that it was mm-hmm. you know i think it like hit everybody pretty abruptly um but for somebody that studies the food system i mean we can see all of the places that will break in a blink of an eye and i've always been surprised uh, you know, I think as consumers, we take for granted the fact that we can just go to the grocery store and it, the food that we want and need is just going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I, I love hearing when people say, I went to, you know, door and they didn't have this thing. And I, then I went to 
Winn-Dixie and they didn't have this thing and I just don't understand why I can't find it. It's really such an inconvenience because I really love it. And I'm staring at them like, you really have no idea where your food comes from, do you? <laughs> right. I mean, you really, no, you have no idea how many miles or how many hands touch that product before you do. Right. And you, it's a luxury that you get that. Mm-hmm. It's not an entitlement. <laughs> <laughs> right. And for those, you know, local food advocates, I mean, there are a reason, there are a very strong group of people that frequent the farmer's market and frequent seeking out these local foods because, you know, they, they know the food system is broken. They mm-hmm. know how fragile it is. And, um, you know, when I, I know I'm going to, we're going to fast forward into this a, a little minute, but when I was conceptualizing Farm Scene Entertainment, I, you know, was devastated at what I was reading about these farmers. Farmers are not business people. Mm-hmm. Bless their hearts. They try so hard, but you know what? Their passion and their love is the feeling of the dirt between their toes. That's what they want to do. And when... It's it's a, a way of life. It is a way of life. I mean, it's a, a very simple, beautiful, all-natural way of life. And they don't... Uh, so most of them are not equipped to handle the business logistics um i mean if you get a farmer to send you an invoice and quickbooks you're doing really good (laughs) you're doing really good and you know my first business locally preserved helped create an additional revenue stream you know we would buy up seconds and thirds of of produce and try to turn it into simple syrups and jams and uh, all natural preserves you know because you know that was that was an angle at which i thought okay we need more producers that are paying attention to what's available locally. So if we, as an entrepreneur, take advantage of that. We're creating additional revenue streams, but we're also getting the access to these locally made products to consumers. And I love brands that you know make that their mission is to just try to find all the ingredients that they can locally. And yeah, it's it's not always cheaper, mm-hmm. right? It's definitely not always cheaper, but you know. It takes a lot of strength to resist the urge to make that bottom line <laughs> look better. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it's really a struggle for the food system because we want something that is year-round available, even though it doesn't grow in your location year-round. We want things that don't grow here at all, ever. Right. I mean, I want coffee. I do. And uh, it. We don't grow coffee. It's not quite that tropical here. Yes. <laughs> and so so I'm import. you know, I'm drinking imported coffee always. Sure. And um, and I'm not giving it up. <laughs> no, no, we, are, we cannot do that. Do not push yourself a cliff like that. <laughs> and and also so much of the the food hybridization is for industrial agriculture. And for food um, shelf stability and that sort of thing, as opposed to flavor. Right. And so I try to look at local food as I'm buying the flavor. I'm not worrying about, and if I have to pay more, I'm not worrying about it because I'm getting flavor that I wouldn't get from something that's been shipped and been picked prematurely and allowed to look like it's ripened but maybe hasn't and and that sort of thing so sometimes I think you're not really unless you just care to get the calories from something 
but not really its flavor, right. then I don't think the dollar, the the bottom line is the only indicator of what you should be pur- purchasing. No, not at all. I mean, in, in, in my household, my son and I, you know, we, we look to the farmer's market as an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at what is offering now. They have, a, they have an app, thanks to COVID. See, there are silver linings, right? Yes. <laughs> Some of these food distribution systems have been pushed to their limits and have been able to grow with technology. And, uh, you know, we, we plan our whole weekend around it. Like when creole season comes, you know, we, we're already pining for those fresh tomatoes. I mean, mm-hmm. um, we grow, we have a, actually an indoor hydroponic system and uh we have tomatoes all the time my my poor little kid just walks by and eats them and i'm like stop are you saving this for the salad this weekend (laughs) (laughs) like mom we just need another one and i'm like we don't have enough space (laughs) but yeah you know we we look for flavor we we don't think about the price that often um you know we think about it as it's healthier Mm -hmm. you know it has to go less miles i mean it's just for us it's a Mm no-brainer why would we eat something from the grocery store if we can eat something that's grown here and don't get me wrong yes i do shop in a grocery store i don't want anyone to get me wrong um especially now i'm in startup life i'm literally ordering from whole foods and picking up in the parking lot and driving off like a (laughs) crazy person (laughs) um but you know because it's it's not it's not feasible for everybody to shop at the farmer's market all the time. And and this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I mean, when we look at the current distribution systems, you know, they are broken. You know, we, we can't always get to the store. Everyone now, if you're sick or older or what age group you fall in, I mean, there's there yeah, we now have to think about it, mm-hmm. right? Are we safe? Are the people in our house safe? Um, how can we all get the things that we need and the least amount of um, movements? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was thinking of loca- locally preserved, when I was thinking of farm scene entertainment, uh, I, you know, this component of the farmer's market, I'm like, okay, but we have to figure this out. The, 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 the old distribution model of having to go and walk around at the farmer's market as beautiful and perfect day as it is, um, you know, it, it doesn't work all the time. Mm-hmm. So how can we get more of this local food to consumers as possible in a right. fun and cool environment? Mm-hmm. And this is why I made the decision to add that part as an incentive to all ticket holders that come to our shows. So tell, since we are sort of going down that path, why don't you tell us about Farmstead Entertainment? Sure. Well, it started in my master's degree. I graduated this past September in the inaugural uh, Master's of Food Business class at the Culinary Institute of America. And, um, you know, when I had actually been working on a completely different business model for the duration of the two-year program, and when the pandemic hit, it was very clear very early on that it was going to be at least five years before I could launch that business. What was that business, or can you not talk about it? Um, I'll just say it has to do with families and children, and uh, it was basically a way to solve. Um, <sighs> I'm a mom first, you know, and I 
I can't stand going to birthday parties at like indoor play places and be served like neon colored drinks in a cup and frozen pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, my kid hates it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he like literally doesn't want to eat the food that get there served. And then it gets embarrassing, you know, you, right. you, all the other moms are staring at me, giving me the evil eye. Well, her cat eats good food. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. We don't eat. We don't serve this at home. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what to say. Um, we actually make real food. You know, um, even if it takes longer. Uh, it's just how we operate in our home. And I, I set out to solve it. You know, I thought we have to create a place where families can come and celebrate and have a kids play area and have really great food. I mean, th- it can exist. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, I think a lot of people would really benefit from it and really appreciate the effort. But it's not going to happen. I, I don't think anywhere between three and five years. Because of the pandemic? Because of the pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. it it's going to take everybody's you know reservations about life in general to be relaxed a lot a lot more yeah it's not that it's not the right climate but that made you pivot toward farm stand entertainment yeah uh farm stand entertainment so i when i realized i wasn't going to be able to launch my current project i thought oh gosh what am i going to do now i mean i'm going to graduate i gotta you know and they they said you know if you can't pivot, you can continue working on your final project and pitch that, you know, for, to graduate. But no, we can't do that. I can't. I, I don't know. I have more integrity than that. I can't pitch a project that I'm not going to be launching. And so I went back to the post-it notes and I started moving them all around. And I thought about my perfect day and which is a music festival. And then I thought about all the things that I can't stand about, you know, music festivals and concerts in general, like, you know, having a Coke and Pepsi in a red and white plastic cup. And for those of you that don't drink, I don't drink. So I'm frequently carrying around a, a Sprite <laughs> cup. Uh, it doesn't make me feel good. And I don't really love it, you, you know. And I want something that's fresh and, and, and mixed and inspired and, you know, with a recipe like a mocktail. And, um, you know, if it includes a fresh local berry, that's even more up my alley, right? Uh, and so, you know, with Farm Stand, we set out to incorporate all of these things. So uh, it is a drive-in live music experience. Um, each ticket holder, well, each space ticket holder gets three spaces for one car, one space to park their car, one space to tailgate in, and one space for social distancing. Now, we have not given the green light yet to go down to two spaces per car for uh, the second show, but I I think it it looks like it's going to be in our favor. Yes, we've been really fortunate here in Louisiana. We have. Looking at our numbers, yes. We have, and I think think we may be able to go down to two spaces per car for the second show, and um, hopefully we can make that happen. So you will have an area to tailgate in. Uh, you do get a $20 dinner box from one of the four featured restaurants included in your ticket, as well as a $20 produce box coordinated by the farmer's market. And so if you're a couple going in, you wind up with two produce boxes? You do, unless you say you want to donate one to the food bank. Okay. And okay. It's, it's actually going to go to their community kitchens to help uh, their community kitchens prepare and serve and deliver food. Okay, I, I like that um, that option because yeah. you—it's certainly better than wasting it because you can't eat it all within you know 
the right amount of time. Right. And, you know, it, it helps with the food distribution model. You know, the, yeah. the food bank is overwhelmed with needing and giving. And, you know, we're just kind of redirecting it. <laughs> right. Right. And so are you working at all with, with people who perhaps um, would have been selling to restaurants? Because your model is helping restaurants. It's helping people have healthy food. It's helping the music business. It's just, you know, involved in all kinds of different things, entertainment, not just music, but entertainment. Um, do you, do you think that you're also, um, going to be in a position to do any of that, you know, what I want to call seconds, you know, not the pretty produce kind of thing. The farmer's market, the Crescent City Farmer's Market is actually in charge of organizing all of their own boxes. We buy the boxes from them. Okay. So we're helping support the farmer's market directly. And then the farmer's market is utilizing, utilizing their existing farmers um, because, you know, their sales have been down throughout mm-hmm. the last year. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't sell enough via the farmer's market anymore. Um, they don't know what to do with their food. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And the other, the other industry that we're helping too is event rentals. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And so the VIP ticket holders actually get a choice to add on um, a lounge experience. And there's two levels. And, and I know a lot of people have some sticker shock in it, but it is, this is not for everyone by any means. It is literally just something extra. We just tried to create something fun, VIP, super special. Um, and we reached out to the, the you know, another sub industry of hospitality, the event rentals, and they've just been, you know, twirling their thumbs. And, you know, I called, I called some guys and I was like, listen, you think we could put together some packages, like some vintage sofas and a coffee table, pillows, rugs, you know, end tables, chairs. Let's see what we can do. Maybe we can have a smaller package and a larger package. Of course, they their eyes lit up, you know, and they're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, sign us up. Just let us have, know how many you need, but we the week before, you know, and uh, so they're not, those packages are not live yet on our website. Um, we uh, we sh- are looking to add them in the next few days. Okay, so tell me more, not just talking around it the way we have, but tell me more directly exactly what it is. It is a... And you haven't started yet, right? No. So, no. and you, so tell us also... When the premiere is. <laughs> yeah. Rain me in, Liz. Rain me in. Uh, she's good at that, isn't she? Uh, the first two test shows are what would have been Jazz Fest weekends, April 24th and May 1st. Um, when I originally started, you know, kind of making calls to see if we could even, you know, put something together this year. Uh, you know, the shrine said, you know, we have Jazz Fest weekends open. And I was so annoyed. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's only two months away. <laughs> but, you know, I thought we kind of have to try. It may not be perfect. I mean, we're trying very hard. Uh, but we're doing it. It's going to be we're trying to give a little bit of Jazz Fest to the world and get, get everybody a little cultural boost and, and get happy and smiling and dining and driving at the drive-in. <laughs> And so what are the dates? April 24th and May 1st. Okay. And so now let's go through what you get. Yes. What is what is the experience? So with every ticket, you get your price of admission. You get a $20 restaurant box. 
You got a $20 farmer's market box. And the, the, the restaurant box, can you eat it there? Absolutely. It's meant for, yep, it's going to come with forks and knives and napkins and ready to roll. But you're going to be tailgating, basically, right? You're not, are, are there tables and chairs or anything like that? Nope. You're going to be tailgating uh, for, for those not in the VIP section and, and not electing to get a lounge experience. You're free to bring, you know, your pop-up chairs and anything that you'd like to set up in your own tailgate space. We will have a, a full bar on premise, uh, a, an amazing uh, cocktail and, and drink program. Uh, in fact, every car when they check in has to designate a responsible driver. We do have a policy. Um, you know, setting the tone for drive-in experiences going forward, you know, we really had to be responsible in this manner. Um, there are multiple reasons why drive-ins have fallen from popularity in recent decades, uh, mostly because of the skyrocketing of entertainment prices um, and, you know, charging one flat fee for, for a car is not an economic model that works. I mean, everybody in the car has to have a ticket. Um, and in fact, we had to set a limit that the minimum is two people per car. And ideally, I would love for there be to be a, uh, an average of four, you know, the, really pack it in. You know, mm -hmm. for this to work and this to continue on, we really need everybody to have a whole car. And so can you car hop, so to speak? So you know people who are parked over there? Can you go over there? Or You can. Okay. You can. You know, we... We have bathrooms. You'll be able to pop over and and go to the go to the restroom. And we have a bar and um, we have a merchandise table and we have some really fun swag that that you know everybody will get and be have access to. Um, but we are asking to just limit the amount of people that are walking around at one time. So you know if you want to just have one person leave your space at once that that's ideal and is that because of covid or just in general no that's that's in in terms of covid you know okay. we i know everybody's getting vaccinated and, and you know the governor did allow for uh, no restrictions on outdoor events ours is a little bit different uh he has been you know advising us along the way and i think i think we will be able to go down to two car two spaces per car model for the second show um and we just have to continue to be responsible, you know, and, and all of this can go away very quickly if we're not. So we need to do our part. Okay. So you get this, you can eat um, there. And then are, are you supposed to, or is it designed for you to sit in your car and watch or to watch from your sort of... Um, um, outdoor spot? How does that work? So I'll, I'll give you the run of show. Uh, the doors are going to open at four and we are encouraging everyone to get there as early as possible. Um, we ask that cars be in their parking space by 6 p.m. Dinner will begin to be served at 6 p.m. Um, and uh, they will bring your boxes to your space to you. And it is a first come first serve parking space situation um you when you buy your ticket you elect vip which is the first three rows or general admission uh which is the next six rows or general admission two which is the last four rows and so within those restraints if you say you have general mission one you just pull in right they the, the wayfinders will park you in single file single filing in mm -hmm. i have to practice that one um, so, you know, if you, 
if you want to get there earlier and make sure that you're in a, a row closer to the stage, then you know, by all means, begin at four, line up and get in there. Um, the bar will open at four. Um, dinner will be served at six. Uh, the show will begin at 630. Um, the 24th Soul Brass Band will begin playing while you're having dinner. And on the first, Honey Island Swap Band will, will play while you're having dinner. Um, and then, uh, you know, 730, the, the next opener will open. Um, on the 24th, it is Smoke and Bones, who will then open for Dumps to Funk. And on the first, it is George Porter Jr., which will open for John Clary. And then from four to six... Are you just you, kind of hang yeah, out. Yeah, you hang out, you know, and you don't you don't need to stay in your car. You have you have a space. I mean, you can open your doors, like hang out, right? You know, experience something new. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, bring your pop-up chairs and just relax and enjoy the show. Okay. So, what is the future? Let's say COVID is over, we go back to whatever the new normal is. What can we expect? And what, what happens if the weather is bad and all that kind of thing? Okay, there's two questions. So rain me in if I get sidetracked. All right. I'll do the weather first. Uh, rain or shine. Uh, the show is rain or, rain or shine. And, um, you know, with an outdoor event, there's really nothing we can do about it. Um, you know, everybody goes to Jazz Fest and everybody has fun slinging in the mud uh, stories. Uh, we will have ponchos. Um, and... Uh, the second one, tell me again the question. So what, you know, what is oh, the, the future. future if COVID is good, kind of gone? Good yeah. question. Uh, so in the future, you know, these, these two inaugural shows are our proof of concept. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going to be analyzing it from every which way. Um, and, you know, if it looks like the, the community wants this to keep going and, and we're supported and we're going to, we want to start planning shows for the rest of the year and, hopefully move to our own permanent location where we can build out an infrastructure. And then, you know, New Orleans will never be without a outdoor COVID safe, family friendly venue to, you know, listen to music and eat some good food and get some groceries. And do you think you might ever have like tables so that if you come early, you can um, park your car and then maybe, relax at a table or something without having to actually bring all of your stuff with you? Maybe, yeah, when we have our permanent location. Mm-hmm. I have some definite ideas about what I want it to look like. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and so will it only be in New Orleans, or do you think, you know, if you're totally dreaming, will it go outside of New Orleans? If I'm totally dreaming. You know, when I initially thought of this model, I thought, man, this could be a plug and play for communities all across the nation. You know, every community is struggling with how to get you know these industries back to work um, as quickly as possible, right? Uh, and so, you know, and if I'm totally dreaming, I'd love to see that happen. I'd love to be able to go to any city and, and go to Farm Sand Live. So do you think it might be like a franchise or do you think you would just open it over and over again in different places? I don't know. You know, that's some serious uh, business talk, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would depend on how, uh, you know, how it all shakes out. So, I mean, in New Orleans, for example, I could imagine it's something that could work year round because right. of the weather. But, you know, in North Dakota, 
I might think twice about um, doing a, a February show. <laughs> you know, and that's where the other models come in. And, you know, we, you know, the, the company name Farmstead Entertainment and then, you know, the DBA with Farmstead Live, you know, maybe we may do a Farmstead movie or a Farmstead film or, uh, you know, there's other ways that we can um, implement this model, but, you know, still be able to take advantage of, you know, like a comedy show or a movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So now that we've kind of covered all of this, I want to back up just for a second and say, how did you go from say locally preserved to, to this? Did you just decide about this because you were enrolled in the CIA program, the the new master's program they have, or was it something that was still percolating in your head before? Oh my goodness. That's a deep question. I'm not fooling around here. <laughs> no, you're not apparently. Um, I'm breaking out on a sweat list. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I've always, you know I started my education in film and television, and I've always had a love for it. Um, I do think it's quite ironic that here I am, uh, you know, melding it all together. I mean, I can see it as a PBS show where you actually start filming it for (laughs) the local station, (laughs) kind of the way Austin does, you know. I could see that. You know, I, it's funny because over the years, so many people have asked me, when are you going to write a cookbook? When are you going to open a restaurant? And I would just look at them and say, but what would it say? And what would it look like? And, and what would it feel like? I, let's talk about it. What do you think? You know, and people would tell me things. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that feels right. And now I am laughing because I had to describe to our, uh, our web developer, um, and that's another story. I, I, I'll tell you about that later. Uh, the the quote unquote menu for each for each week, you know. And I, he goes, "It's a menu," and I was like, "Yeah, you know, there's one vegetarian option at every show. There's one meat and cheese box at every show, and then there's two entrees from other restaurants." And he's like, "Oh man, you thought about it." <laughs> I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a chef. I did think about it. <laughs> I wanted it to be a menu. If if." Okay, so for all the people that have ever asked me if I was ever going to start a restaurant, well, here we go. Emily has a restaurant now, right? In, in my perfect world, this is what it looks like. And I just took away the walls and made the sunshine and, um, you know, did it my way. Yeah. And why not? Why not? <laughs> okay, so tell me what the other story was. Oh, you know, startup life is real wild, right? I mean, this is, this is my third business. Uh, for myself, and I've I've helped open quite quite a few others for other people, um, and no two are like the same. Mm-hmm. And I will say that this has been by far the least dramatic, the most enjoyable, the less stress. Even though I've built an entertainment company, <laughs> most days I'm still pinching myself over. But the one thing has been this crazy timeline that that we tasked ourselves with. I mean, from the end of January, beginning of February, when we found out the shrine was available for Jazz Fest weekends, I'm like, can we do this in two months? I mean, like, really, can we? 
can we? I don't know. And I was like, well, we should try. And so, you know, we had spent quite a a lot of time, like, making sure, like, okay, this week we're going to do this, this week we're going to do this, and this, and this. Well, last week, of course, the week of ticket sale launch, you know, is when things began to kind of, like, I don't know if we're going to make it to the Wednesday (laughs) deadline. And, you know, we had everything planned out. I mean, I mean, I thought I was just golden. And then Tuesday, we're uploading everything into the website, even like the ticket sale. We had all the all of that, you know, organized prior. And then we hit a pretty big roadblock in the back end of Squarespace. And I had like three hours to figure out a solution. I just started Googling and Googling like ticket event sales, ticket event sales, uh, you know, online platform and then I changed, you know, the grouping of words I was putting into Google and, and up came this company, Simple Ticks. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I started playing around. I was like, let me just see how far I go, how far I get in the, the setup process. And then I'll be able to see if this is a viable option. Because, you know, it, it is a complicated there's a lot of ele- elections, right? right? right. You got to decide how many people are in your car. And then we have a pricing structure that incentivizes you to fill up your car, right? Because each additional ticket you add is a little bit less. And uh, then you can choose, you know, your add-ons. Do you want dessert? Do you want the VIP lounge experience? And then each passenger has to elect what they want to eat. And, you know, if you and as a side note, if you are coming with a group and you don't have time to uh, check with everybody what they want to eat, just pick divvy it up, you know, pick one of each and then you can all share, you know, these are meant to be your friends and family and your pod friends. So I think you're probably at the point of sharing a fork again. If you're not, we have more than one fork. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of challenges in our ticket model. And, and, and although we thought surely we were going to get through with our initial plans I mean I've really just had a few hours to to figure out a a, a change and I sent an email off I got pretty far with simple ticks and I was like I think I feel like this is it this can expand this this feels like he can manipulate this on the back end for us and an hour later I got an email from the founder and (laughs) I was sitting there I was trying to eat dinner like the one time I was going to eat that day and I was, the excitement was so real, Liz. I, I was like, oh, no, put the phone down. Eat your dinner, Emily. Eat it. Eat it and, and have peace with it. And then you can go respond. And then, you know, I must have had that conversation like four times before uh-huh. I just threw the salad up and went, oh, fine. I'm just going to send this one email. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we had a call the next morning at 8 a.m. And he was so excited. He's like, we can fix this. We can do this. We, we got it. You know, and um, uh, even though he, he, they did, and they did do it, and they are doing it, it did take a, a couple of extra days because they did have to customize the entire site. And oh, wow. his, you know, web developer literally worked for three days straight. Mm. And I honestly, I feel like, God made sure my angel wings were on tight because I, there was multiple moments this past Friday where I was sweating all day. I was like, this is it. It's not going to happen. I know it. Oh my gosh. You know, we're, we're gonna have to, social media is going to have a field day if we don't launch ticket sales today. And then at 7, 11 at night, I'll never forget that number. I looked at the clock 
to memorialize it in my brain. <laughs> he was like, it's live. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That was a little too close for comfort. <laughs> <laughs> but it's live. Farmstandlive.com. You can go and buy tickets today <laughs> and do so before it's too late. <laughs> yes. And so... Emily, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story with us. Give us the uh, website again. www.farmstandlive.com. That's where you go. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Liz. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.